We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast brought to you by WinBet. I am your host, James Anderson, and we are back for part two of the Rotowire Dynasty Mock uh, kind of wrap up uh, episodes where I'll be having some, uh, some you know dynasty minds that took part in this this mock draft with me on to discuss their team and and share a little strategy with us. Uh, up first is Phil Goyette, uh, who's kind enough to join us from across the pond. Uh, Phil is on Twitter at Phil of Sports. Phil, how are you doing? Good, man. I'm happy to be here from the future. I'm over in the future right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where where exactly are you right now? I'm in Dublin, uh, Dublin, Ireland. So we're five hours ahead of the East Coast right now. So this was a international mock draft. Uh, we also yeah. had Jordan Rosenblum from uh, Finland taking part. So, yes. Um, I was... You were very kind to, to always leave me with a, a cue uh, before you went to bed. Um, so that, that was great. Uh, I was, tried to not hold it up. I was smart enough to put the two guys in Europe uh, super far apart from each other in the mock so that there could be um, some, some big stoppage <laughs> times and everything. But uh, <laughs> Phil, let's uh, let's get to your team. You were picking out of the uh, 15th spot. Uh, you started off yes. with Jacob deGrom. Then you went Freddie Freeman, Marcus Semyon, Jonathan India, Joe Musgrove, Giancarlo Stanton. Um, kind of a, a win now squad. Uh, what was your uh, plan before the draft? Like once you start, sort of saw where you were picking, um, were you kind of building a board? Did you just kind of go with best player available? Um, did, did you use projections? Like what was, what was your process and your strategy? Yeah, um, I figured I would be looking at pitching because I was picking 15th there. So I was hoping there'd be some pitching. I was actually surprised DeGrom made it to me. I was happy about that. Um I was, like you said, kind of win now versus jumping on prospects early. It was sort of my general strategy anyway for Dynasty. Um, but that being said, I decided with this one, especially because it was a mock, to take some cuts on some riskier MLB players and also try and get some younger MLB players, um, which I think I did both of. Um, so that was good. Um, and I forget the third part of your question. <laughs> Well, just, yeah, I mean, I guess, it, like, how much did the, the draft sort of go according to your, your plans and your, your oh, general sort of strategy ahead of time? Yeah, um, I think it was, I was very reactive based on what the other people were doing, because I think 
pretty much everybody in the room had a pretty strategic approach, I would say, as opposed to taking like the best available player. Um, And because of that, you almost had to watch what was happening in the room to not get caught out in certain areas. For example, I got caught out with steals because I didn't invest enough in steals earlier on. And you can see there's a point. I think I hit around 10 or 11. I started to panic about it. Um, And I tried to kind of cobble together some steals with like Grossman, Nimmo. I took Leody, Tavares, um, and I took Yanni Hernandez before Semyon had signed with the Rangers too. So (laughs) I was just kind of searching for steals at that point, steal options. Yeah, and I mean, if you go with the, you know, try to win in year one approach, uh, you definitely have to sort of cover your bases in terms of uh, all the categories um, because you don't want to fall behind early in the season, obviously. Um, yep. Let's talk about the DeGrom pick because you you said you were surprised he was there. Uh, I'll be honest, I was surprised that he went that high um just because of the the injury concerns uh with the way that yep. his season finished and you actually you ended up taking him ahead of his redraft adp at 15 overall uh why don't you kind of you know make make the case for for taking to ground where, where you took him uh so when i was looking at the numbers before we started he had, was a basically a 30 dollar pitcher last year even though he only pitched you know two thirds of the season. Um, and I, based on research I've done in the past, once a starting pitcher gets to like that tier where he can be a potential $40 player, uh, in an auction format or potential, you know, one through five draft pick, uh, in a draft format, they usually tend to stick there. So DeGrom, Scherzer, um, those are guys that once they hit that plateau, uh, if you look historically, tend to stick in that plateau. It's a hard one to break into, and then once you get there, you can usually hang around. So, um, and then the third thing was, I said, well, I'm not going to take risks on prospects early, but I'll take risks with MLB players early. So why not take it with the guy who could be the best pitcher potentially if he can throw 150, 160 innings this year? I'll be dancing. So, let's that was my thinking. Let's say that this was a cash league, and you had to invest like a hundred dollars for like the buy-in is that still a pick you're making there yeah yeah i would definitely go for him there um and i would hopefully be able to rely on making trades so this would be a trading league want to be a best ball dynasty style um and i usually trade a lot in in dynasty formats where trading is allowed um and i usually can find that i think people don't necessarily follow that um concept that they they won't hold on to those $40 pitchers no matter what like people will trade Scherzer for example last year especially if it's coming down the wire so I think you can usually find a starter you can usually find saves and you can usually find steals in the dynasty leagues by trading so that would be the my least areas of concern I think yeah I mean you make a you make a good point in terms of um you don't need to leave a a dynasty startup draft with everything on hand uh especially if you've you've you know drafted some guys that you can use specifically as trade chips um yeah how you know if we were playing this out how patient do you think you would be over the next couple years with the win now approach uh like how would you kind of be judging your success and when would you know that it was time to to hit a reset button 
Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Um, I I try to not do anything until June first. So just because I can be a little reactionary and I know that about myself. So I try not to panic until June 1st. Then at June 1st, if I'm trailing in certain, and I know I'm trailing in certain categories, then starting June 1st, I'll try to trade for what I'm missing as long as I'm in like the top half, around the top half of the league. Because I find that you can make up that ground by the end of the season if you get on it June 1st or by July. Um, and then you also have to do the flip side of that. Be honest with yourself. So if the actual trade deadline is rolling around or whatever the league's trade deadline is and you can see that you're not gonna you're out of the running to win it this year then you need to start trading the stuff that's not bolted down basically like Degrom or stanton or you hope that if one of those guys pans out and your team's not doing that well uh they could be a chip that you can use to get a lot coming back to you like if stanton's having uh on a heater around the trade deadline and a bunch of home runs the guy that needs home runs is hopefully somebody you can move him to yeah, but and I, it's it's. I mean, it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I think you nailed it. Um, yeah, I mean, you you have to kind of you know keep evaluating things as the season progresses, and um, you know, yeah, like I think Stanton's a great example of a guy where uh, if he's rolling and you're out of it and he's healthy, um, not a bad idea to to get something for him. Absolutely, um, yeah. Now you didn't you didn't just take guys like Degrom and Freeman and Stanton, uh, you mixed in some some exciting young big leaguers into the mix. Uh, did you get you know guys like were you surprised at all with who you ended up with in terms of you know Jonathan India in the fourth, yeah, uh, Luis Garcia in the eighth, Abraham Toro in the tenth? Are those guys that you knew you were kind of higher on than most people going into this thing? Um, I don't, I didn't know probably going in that I was going to be higher, but I was surprised to see India when I, where he was at in the fourth, I was happy, um, to be able to snag him there. Sometimes you just, people forget about the guys that are young MLBers versus the prospects that are still coming through the minors. Um, and part of that maybe is just because the guys in the minors, like they haven't had really a chance to fail yet, <laughs> like Julio Rodriguez or something. He hasn't failed at all. And maybe he won't. Um, so obviously you're looking at him. Uh, as that shiny uh, potential, but India's got a ton of potential too, I think. And he's already crossed that hurdle where he shows that he can be an everyday MLB player. So I like guys like that. Luis Garcia, same deal. He's a guy I've liked for a while. So I think he'd be a nice contributor to the pitching staff for the team for the next two, three years. And somebody I could try and win with. Um, uh, and Toro's a guy I've, I've liked. I think, um, I'm trying to think what the Mariners, I think his playing time situations gotten a little more muddled, which is something I wish I would have thought about before taking him. Um, but that's, it's this part of the game when you're playing dynasty, you got to um, try and get depth. And if it doesn't work out with the playing time situation with the player, be looking for somebody else. And you mentioned that you took uh, Marcus semi. Now you took Marcus semi in before he signed, right? When he was still a free yeah, agent. He was a free agent. Yeah. Him and, and uh, Yanni both. Uh, Yanni, I took before Semyon had signed as well, thinking he'd maybe get some playing time. <laughs> and were you, you know, what was your general reaction to Semyon's landing spot? Is that just kind of, you know, middle pack, not, not great? Not, I don't think it's great. Um, I've, I've seen some suggestion that the Rangers park is new park is maybe not as bad for hitters as it looks, but I think it's not a great park for hitters. 
Um, and then obviously that's a big downgrade in the offense he's moving to. I was happy that they got Seager, thank God. Uh, so that should hopefully boost like runs and RBIs for Semyon. Um, but I like him as a he's five category guy that uh, worst case scenario, he'll be a compiler because he always seems to play a lot. So um, I don't think it's it's terrible, but it definitely got worse. <laughs> it was definitely the wor- worst end of the landing spots for him after I took him for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, and, you know, I, I drafted a guy like this, too, in, in the fifth round and George Springer. But it in Dynasty, it is it is nice when you get those veterans who, you know, you don't know how many prime years they have left, but at least they're getting paid a ton and they're on a big like a long term contract because you can at least bank yeah. those plate appearances then. Right. Yep. Yeah, him and Freddie. Freddie is a compiler guy. So. I tried to balance that with then taking the risks on like the Stanton or, you know, I took DeGrom, but then I also took Musgrove. I think Musgrove's one of the best shots to pitch around 200 innings this year based on the research I've done. So, so what kind of, like, I know that you've done a ton of um, interesting stuff. I've, I've seen you share it on Twitter where you've, uh, you know, estimated minor league barrels and stuff like that. Mm. Like what, what kind of, projects have you done recently in terms of research um and like how do you kind of come up with these ideas uh, a lot of times i just read uh, something else i can't uh, maybe alex chamberlain did um some kind of um uh piece where he estimated launch angle deviation he gave the actual launch angle deviation but then he also gave a method to estimate the launch angle deviation so then when i saw that i said man i wonder if you could do it for like barrels or something um, and then I just kind of started asking people about it, including Jordan Rosenblum, who's like a great statistical brain. So I bounced a lot of ideas off him and some other people. Um, and you just kind of play around with it. So um, a lot of the ideas are kind of floating out there if you can pick them out of different pieces that you're right. Um, but I use those for the prospects I took. I relied really heavily on the estimated barrels and the estimated ex-WOBA to kind of show what kind of players that method would like. Um, and I think it wound up, it, it really likes, unfortunately or fortunately, three true outcome types. So um, you might get a Joey Gallo out of that pool, or you might get like a Mike Olt, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> so uh, I, I know all those guys at least have good power upside that it's like the prospect hitters that I took. Well, yeah, I mean, since you bring it up, let's, like jump ahead quick and, and talk about those guys. You um, went all big leaguers with your first 20 picks, and then you went yeah. all prospects with your final 10 picks. Uh, yep. Was, you know, who, who are some of the prospects in the, in here in, in terms of these 10, who you're most excited about? Uh, well, I think, like I said, I think they all should be potential big, like 30 plus home run bats. Hopefully is what I was thinking. Um I think Travis Swaggerty is maybe people, somebody that people don't have high up on the radar because he was starting to have a really good season uh, last summer and then hurt his shoulder and was out for the rest of the year. Um, but I think the question with Swaggerty is whether his power was ever going to show up, but he's a first-round draft pick, uh, five-tool kind of guy. Um, and then I think his power, based on the estimated barrels I was looking at, was really starting to take off last year before he got hurt. So I'm really excited to get him. I think he could be a guy that could really pop this year. Um, I know Foscue can hit the ball hard. Um, I think he'll 
be a power bat if he can find somewhere to play. I don't know why I have all these Rangers. That was kind of... <laughs> you, got, you got second base for the too. Rangers covered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. If any of them play. Uh, but so Foscue's, I'm excited to, for the power potential there for sure. And I think he could maybe work in a corner for them as well. Kind of do like the, maybe it'll be like the better version of Nick Solak and will work out. Um, but I just took like high potential guys. James Wood, I mean, has a big ceiling. I think Owen White has a big ceiling. So um, I tried to swing hard for the prospects of, of guys with big time ceilings, essentially. Yeah, I mean, I, I love what you said about Swaggerty. Uh, I, I think, you know, I've, I've been trying to be very kind of conscious in my, you know, updated prospect rankings to not get too swept up in the moment uh, and, like, move off Swaggerty because, I mean, he really – he checks a ton of boxes, right? Like, he's, he's close to the majors on a team yeah. with a ton of playing time available and, like, they're going to give him the green light on the bases – and like you said, I mean, the he's not just like a speedster only type of guy, right? Like, I mean, the fact that you were on him, uh, in addition to being on these guys that we definitely think of as traditional sluggers like Baron Laura and Justin Foscue and Owen Casey and James Wood, um, like those guys are just, you know, it's power first and then we'll, we'll see what else comes. But like the fact that your method methodology um, pinpointed swaggerty to me is, is a really good sign. Yep. Yeah. Um, I don't have the barrel numbers in front of me, but it had to be double digit estimated barrels. I think everybody it took was so. Um, and maybe it doesn't maybe it doesn't happen for him. You know, it could that definitely not pan out. But like you said, I think he ticked a lot of boxes that I was excited about. And I just think he went under the radar because he got hurt. Right. I mean, if he doesn't get hurt, he probably plays at least a couple of months in the majors last year. Um, yeah. Yeah, potentially. And then you took Elihurus Montero uh, with the Rockies, and he's actually a guy that I've been asked about a little bit so far this offseason because I know people are are looking at him in draft and holds. Um, you know, they, they've got kind of a crowded mix of guys who, you know, are all around like 23, 24, 25, and sort of unproven. Uh, is, is he your <laughs> like favorite? Like do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. Yep. Um. You know, I've liked him for uh, several years, um, and uh, he's—I do like guys that have had like he had that really good year with the Cardinals, and then he didn't really follow it up, and then he got traded to Colorado, and then he had a really good year again last year. So I kind of like guys that have had two nice seasons in the minors. I think that's a good sign. Um, I, how the Rockies will deploy him, Lord only knows. So I'm not, I'm not sure, but I think he can hit his way into playing time. I think he can handle third base at least now, or maybe for the next, you know, like year or two. They might play him enough there that he retains third base eligibility for fantasy. I don't think it's a long term thing, but um, and then he's got Coors. So I mean, who knows? Anything can happen there. I think so. Yeah, I mean he he's at least on the forty man roster. And yeah, um, yeah, I think he, he gets a shot this year. Uh, we'll see, you know, how legitimate of a shot they give him and, you know, how patient they are with him. But I, I find it hard to imagine him not at least getting getting a look for uh, at least like a month or something like that sometime this summer. Um, let's kind of feel like his his price will only go up because if he does have a nice spring training, he's going to get drafted higher 
than where he's getting drafted now for people that are looking at him, I would think, at drafting holes and those type of things. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're just kind of judging these guys based on um, who's performed recently in terms of those Rockies guys, uh, I mean, you, you could feel pretty good about Ryan McMahon and Brendan Rodgers having jobs and obviously yeah. CJ Crone since he he signed uh, that extension with them. But, um, I mean, Montero's recent track record is certainly better than than the other guys that he would be uh, competing with over at third base. Um now you mentioned Luis Garcia uh, of the Astros is a guy that that you've liked for a while. I, I've liked him for a while too, and I just, I mean, do you want to just kind of describe uh, you know his pitch mix or, or what what it is about him that that you've really kind of been drawn to? Because I, I think people still aren't really ready to to fully buy in on Luis Garcia. I mean, he went here in the eighth round. Uh, with some guys coming back from Tommy John surgery, uh, like like Mike Clevenger, Tyler Glass, now Justin Verlander, uh, he went right next to Jesus Lazardo, who you know Garcia's outpitched Lazardo for you know as far back yeah. as we can go. Um, so what what is it about Garcia that uh, you're so into? He didn't have the pedigree of Lazardo at all, so maybe that's just kind of hanging around still. Um, but uh, man, I think Garcia, the only thing that's really missing talent wise is is if he could pitch 180 innings or something this year but one thing i've always liked about him is he doesn't really look like a baseball player that much he's almost built like a middle linebacker kind of right like i was he's kind of like a fire hydrant like mike singletary or something um and uh i think he's gonna hold up i think it'll make him durable i think he's surprisingly athletic for his build because um when you watch him on the mound i just he looks like an athlete to me looks like he could play any kind of sport um, so I think there's a good shot that, uh, he, he can do it, that he can handle the innings. And I think Houston's going to need him to handle the innings. Um, and he's shown he can be effective when I was looking at the estimators, pretty much everybody thought he'd like a sub 4.0 estimated ERA. Um, and I think his upside could be higher than that even. So, um, I figured, and he's young, so take a shot. Maybe, maybe he takes another step this year. Yeah, I I love his his look. Um, you know his his hair is is you know probably the best hair in the bigs, and then yeah, uh, great flow. He's got yeah, he's kind of got that sort of Carlos Zambrano type of build. Uh, to yeah. Him. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm you know hoping he stays healthy and everything like that. Hoping he continues to get drafted outside the top 100 and redraft. Um, Abraham Toro is another guy that I you know I think I've, I've been very high on at times and you know he, he's required a little bit of patience but it was nice to see him uh sent to a different organization last year uh do you what what do you see as toro's realistic ceiling if he were to be getting um, pretty regular playing time this year i think he's more of a floor guy to me than a ceiling guy um i, I, I agree i'm just interested agree? In, yeah you know um, but I think he strikes me as a guy that could be like a compiler because he is good at a lot, like Semyon or something, because um, he's good at, at a lot of different facets of the game, gets on base, um, can make contact, can steal some bags, can hit for some power, um, good in the field defensively, can play multiple positions. Um, and then like for the character type of stuff, he just seems like a almost like a gamer type. He's always gotten good reviews from anything I've seen on that end. So um and I just think I was needing to cover third base at that point too, because third base is some, I tell you what, 
I wish I would have had a better plan for third base because third base is tough this year for redraft or dynasty or whatever. So you need to have your plan for third base. I would say that was an area of opportunity. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're dead on about that. I, like I reached, um, you know, just from a, a value standpoint, uh, I, I ended up with uh, Luis Urias, I want to say. Um, well, I would rather have him than Toro. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I mean, I would too. I took him, I took him over Toro. I took him in the eighth. You took Toro in the tenth. Um, but like at the time, it's not like I thought Luis Urias was necessarily the best player available. But I was looking at third base, and yep. it was it was drying up in a hurry. Uh, and then I. Ended up grabbing Josh Donaldson a little bit later just because he just kept falling and falling. But, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, if, if you want a guy that's kind of in that Toro, Urias age range, I think there is a little bit of a tax in terms of where you got to grab them. I would agree. I think you're, I think Urias has more upside because I think there's possibly more power there. What do you think? <sighs> yeah, you know, uh, Toro really did flash um, – some surprising pop. I, th- I think it was back in 2019 uh, when he was at double uh, A AA and triple A, uh, but we haven't seen him get to that um, since he got to the majors. Um, you know, I think there, I, I think you feel a bit more confident about Urias, but I think they kind of yeah. have a similar type of upside. If, if it all clicks, you just, uh, I'm, I'm more confident in Urias getting, you know, basically everyday playing time. Uh, this upcoming season. Um, sure. And, you know, this is this was an OBP league. Uh, you ended up with Robbie Grossman and, and Brandon Nimmo, as, as you alluded to. Um, were they – I know you mentioned Grossman for the speed, maybe Nimmo a little bit for the speed too, but I know those guys are always going to show up very high if you're looking at like a set of projections um for, for obp did you did you glance at projections and stuff like that as you were oh, doing yeah. Draft? yeah yeah definitely i looked at uh, i think steamer was pretty much the only thing out so i relied on steamer mostly um and then as a, so usually what i do is i look at as you know three or four uh sets of projections when i'm looking at a guy to draft but yeah obp was those guys were obp guys and maybe get me some steals guys um I always try to do as well as I can on the ratios because those are the hardest things to get back as the season goes on. So, And then uh, in the fifth, 15th round, I should say, uh, you know, it was kind of the elephant in the room, I felt like, for a few rounds. Yeah. Uh, Trevor Bauer had not gotten selected. Um, I'm, you know, I'd be interested to see where he would have gone had this been a cash league um, because – you know, talk about a guy who's not very fun to take in a mock in a mock draft. <laughs> um, yeah, Trevor Bauer. So you know the the other pitchers that went in that round, all basically big question marks or just really low ceilings. Uh, Roncy Contreras, Nate Pearson, Drew Rasmussen, uh, Matt Liebertor, Taiwan Walker, John Means, and so obviously we've seen Bauer pitch at a level that none of those guys are ever going to come close to real- realistically. Um, but what is your sort of general, I don't know, do you have an operating assumption in terms of, of when we see him back in, in games? I didn't really, uh, analyze it before I took him. Um, since that's happened, I think we've seen Ozuna not get much of a punishment and be back on the field. So I would be surprised if the league can keep him out 
much longer, if at all, to be honest with you. And I don't think the Dodgers have any sort of um, uh, character issue with playing him go out there and pitch if he wins games for him. As bad as it sounds to say, I don't think the Dodgers really care if he's if he's going to be able to pitch and win games. You think the Dodgers would be pissed at him because they had to go dump some prospects to get Scherzer after Bauer, you know, dropped unexpectedly in the middle of the season. And this is now the second time he's done this because he did something like that in Cleveland when he droned himself in the finger or whatever. So, um, but uh, uh, I don't know. I just, I don't think they're going to keep him off the field. I don't think the league will. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like a, it's an icky thing to kind of have to talk about um, for, for dynasty, but I mean, it's, it's, a decision a ton of dynasty managers are gonna have to make this winter in terms of uh, you know am i keeping trevor bauer uh what am i doing with trevor bauer and yeah i think uh you never want to overestimate um how much of a conscience big league front offices have when it comes to this type of thing Um, for sure phil do you have any general advice for for anyone who might be uh, prepping to do a a startup dynasty draft here uh, still this offseason? Uh, well, I think we kind of talked about it, but projections are your friend. So don't be afraid to start with projections. And if you feel like you're sticking to them a little too closely, um, that could be better than doing the opposite. So um, projections are your friend. And when you go through the projections, what you'll see is that uh, especially early on, you probably want to focus on major league players. And if you feel like you're not getting enough to build for the future with, do stuff like um, like get the, look for India, look for Luis Garcia. I think you took some guys like that too, probably good ones. Um, so if you feel like you're missing out on the prospect rush, you probably will be. So you kind of have to accept that um, and then look at the challenge of what are some guys that are young in the majors now that could take the next step. Well said, Phil. Uh, do you want to let people know where they can follow you? And if you've got anything to plug, uh, here's your chance. Yeah. Twitter, Phil of Sports. I usually put out uh, my ideas while I'm coming up with them um, for feedback and stuff. And you can find the links to my blog and um, my different stats that I come up with on there. Um, messing around with Tableau, too, with some data visualization stuff. So I'm hoping to have more of that available this season that people can just kind of pull up on the fly. Um, and then weekly, I do a podcast with uh, Michael Govier, the Palazzo podcast, two L's and two Z's on the Palazzo pod. Um, and we do a half an hour every Monday or Tuesday live on YouTube. And then you can listen on podcast, uh, but it's all prospects. And ideally, what we would love is if people just come to us with either questions about their team or prospects that they're liking right now that we should check out. Um, so the more kind of interaction with the audience during that, the better is what we're looking for. So if you want to come in and hang out with us, we talk kids, uh, baseball, young baseball players, which everybody's excited about. So it's a really good time. Awesome. Thanks again, Phil. Uh, Thanks, really James. Enjoyed it. Yep. Have a good one. All right. We are joined now by Chris Mayer. Uh, am I pronouncing that right, Chris? You're not, and I usually just don't use my last name. You can just call me Chris at Baseball Pods. It's all good, Chris, James. Okay, great. Uh, everyone knows you as at Baseball Pods. Um, Chris has done great work uh, to kind of, you know, increase the um, sort of togetherness, I think, of the the fantasy baseball community. Um, 
and yeah, I mean, I think it was a, it was a ton of fun drafting with you. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, I wasn't the only one working on a set of dynasty rankings during this, this mock draft. Yeah. You know, I've been, I've been putting off doing it, um, updating it since like did like a mid season update after the trade deadline. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do it again at the end of the season. And I never got around to it. And then I was texting with you after you invited me and you were like, yeah, I'm going to use this to update my rankings. And I was like, why the hell wouldn't I do that? That's why, that's why you've got the road wire banner in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, you always got to, I mean, it's, it's the easiest thing ever, right? Like if it's a fun exercise and there's no more sort of thorough way to make sure that you're not forgetting anyone when you're doing a big set of rankings uh, update um, than to do a, a mock with a bunch of, bunch of smart people. Um, so that's, you know, whenever I'm doing like something in the off season, particularly I, I try to kind of um, tie it in with, with a mock or something like that, that I'm taking part in so that I can be working and, and having fun at the same time. Um, what yeah. was that process like for you? I mean, I guess you, you probably got like a, a later start in terms of actually fully updating your, your ranks in terms of when the draft started. Um, I noticed, for instance, you're, you were picking from the 19 hole. Uh, you actually had your second rounder, Manny Machado, ranked ahead of your first rounder, Jordan Alvarez. Uh, were there other instances like that where like after doing the rankings update, there were decisions you might have made differently during the draft? Yeah. And that's why I love doing the, like actually putting it into action. Like you, it's so theoretical. And if you've never actually done a list of 500, it, it sounds hard. And I think it's probably like 10 times harder than it even sounds when you're sitting there and you're trying to compare, like, you know, where do I rank Justin Verlander versus, you know, who's like going to be potentially dominant for a season, maybe good for two versus like some 23 year old or 24 year old pitcher. It's, it's like, or, or catcher, right. It's like, it's super, super hard. I think, Prospect ranking is really hard. Dynasty ranking is like another level for me. So, um, uh, yeah, I just when I, after going through the draft, I've definitely um, made some changes, and uh, it's I, I had a I had like my top three hundred pretty much done, and then I had like about three hundred, four hundred other names, and it also helped me, you know, whittle it down to top five hundred, and then make some changes to the uh, um, to the to the to the beginning but i mean the other thing i would just say about it is like one of the things i try to put in my rankings is like don't use these as like straight rankings necessarily part of this is also for me also always about um player like in my mind when i'm playing in a bunch of dynasty leagues i like to have some diversity especially near the top of the draft in terms of like player share so if you end up with like a catastrophic injury it doesn't sink all your dynasty teams at once because <laughs> that really sucks because then you've got to rebuild so uh, yeah, it's the, the general rankings, people up near the top. I mean, as you know, those guys are, you know, they're all great. Uh, it, it, do, it does whittle out though, I think, and quicker than, than you think it will. Like, and I, I always go with bats first, young bats, major league bats, you know, I love Julio and, and, uh, and he'll be, you know, he's definitely like my number one prospect and Bobby Witt. Those guys, I might take a shot on if I just decide to go that way in a draft, but I always just try to start with young bats and then when the guys I don't have questions about are gone, that's when I'll try to take my first pitcher. And um, I'm, I'm generally probably later to the prospects than most people in dynasty drafts. I like playing for the the next, I like to win now and kind of, I draft for like a three year kind of period. Yeah, no, I, I agree with a, with a lot of what you said. I mean, it, the, the, the part about, you know, exhaust the sort of hitters in kind of a tier uh, 
And then if you feel like there's a bit of a drop off, that's when you can mix in the pitching or that's when you can maybe mix in the prospect in the, in those middle rounds. But yeah, I mean, as long as there's young bats that you're into, uh, big league bats who, who, who are proven. I mean, I think that's where you got to invest your, your top resources. And uh, that's, that's kind of exactly what you did with your, your first three picks. Uh, Jordan Alvarez, Manny Machado, Kettle Marte. And then you got Trevor Rogers as your first pitcher in the fourth round and followed him up with Willie Adamas. Um, so, I mean, did that, were there any like kind of tough calls in that mix uh, when you're on the clock? Uh, were those all values you were, you were excited about? How, how did that break down? Yeah, I mean, I love getting Jordan and Manny there. I think Manny's one of the most underrated fantasy players there is. He's, I mean, he's, especially in Dynasty, he's even better. He's, like, predictable. He's stable. He's got, he, like, defines, like, elite floor. Like, I mean, him and Bryce Harper, just, you know, I just pencil them in for whatever they're going to do. You know, and I also think, like, he got a bad rap. Um, I felt like in Baltimore, he's, like, one of the best defenders I've ever seen at third base. And, uh, you know, Baltimore wasn't a great environment, and he, I feel like – feel like some of the, um, you know, some of the, the racist tropes that go out there about Latin players were thrown towards him and he got, but he's like, he, he got traded to San Diego. He's got a new life. But when you look at his, his, uh, his track record, it's like impeccable. Like he's just does it every year. And the other thing about Manny is in an age where we're starting to understand the value of plate appearances, I think in innings pitch, like more than ever, he just, he plays games, man. He just, he's a gamer. So it's like all these, all these like notions about Manny being lazy or not like, you know, doing whatever or not being a good teammate. Obviously he's become like a good um, influence on Tatis, but like from a fantasy perspective, like look at those, look at those games played, man. He just, he's a gamer. He goes out there every day. And I think, uh, he, you know, he's scrappier in many ways, I think than a lot of the, the, the players that get that thrown along. So I love getting him there. I was, uh, um, in a second, um, Definitely wanted uh, Brandon Lau uh, over Kettle Marte, although I think Marte is who knows what he is. He's kind of like a, a like a wild card, like a surprise package. Like maybe he'll be uh, fast again. Maybe he'll be <laughs> have more power. I think he's gonna. I think he's a good player and he's got a good set of skills and he'll be solid there. Uh, but I would have. I think I would have preferred Lau um, in the in the third uh, when uh, when when I got uh, Marte. So um, uh, I don't know that that Adamus. I, 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 I it was a felt. Felt like the right time. Adamas, you know, I got a couple of older guys and Chris Bryant and JT Real Muto because I was like, okay, I'm building this thing as if I'm going to compete right now. And now I've got like a super solid, um, you know, core to my batting. I can t I can have some fun uh, taking some shots a little later on, like I did with Vidal Bruhan, who I know the shine is off a little bit, but I still think he's got like game changing speed and it's going to find its way out of the playing field in the next two or three years. Uh, and have I think I, with between Rogers, I picked you Darvish and Stroman. I think those are, it's a good core to my, uh, my starting pitching. So I, I like the way the draft unfolded for me. Yeah, Chris. I mean, I, I, I noticed when I was drafting that, um, you know, usually I would go pretty young, like, you know, 28 and under, um, for maybe the first like 10 rounds. Uh, but I don't know if you noticed this. I like it just everyone was just reaching for every exciting young hitter there was. And I think part of that was because this was a mock draft um, and just the the really, really strong vets uh, were getting pushed down, which led to me kind of you know pivoting in like the, the fifth round and grabbing like George Springer and uh, like Zach Wheeler in the third guys that I didn't expect to end up with. But 
you know, at a certain point when all the young guys are getting pushed up, someone's got to fall down. Is that kind of what happened with your, your Bryant, Real Muto, Darvish picks? Yeah, hundred percent. It was just like, and, and like Darvish, you know, he struck out, he had a rough year and he was really, really uh, frustrating to own, but, or to roster, but he had 200 strikeouts. I mean, he's just, you know, he's got so much talent. I figure, you know, with the ball changing and whatnot, I'll bet he's a smart, one of the smartest pitchers out there. I'll bet he'll figure it out. So I'm betting on a rebound and I think he'll be really good again for the next few years at least. But I look at players that were just picked ahead of him and I just like, like you said, I mean, like, you know, MJ Melendez, who I like, you know, he's fine, but uh, young catchers, I, I tend not to believe in, you know, uh, you look at like Gavin Lux, I think he could be fine too, but I'd, I'd rather have, you know, Melendez went around after Real Muto. So to your, just to your point, like, I mean, I just think that these young, a lot of young players were getting pushed up because it was, it was a fun draft. And uh, this really reflects actually generally how I like to draft in dynasty. So I found it to be, that's why it was a super useful experience for me too, in, in terms of helping me form my top uh, 500, because it was like, okay, I can, I'm making real decisions that I would make uh, in a dynasty league. Hey, everyone, I'm not like trying to criticize anyone either. Like, do you, man? Like, if you, you're, you, who knows, right? Like, you may be, you may have hit on, on some of these younger players, and you know, I'm gonna look foolish in a year or two. But I just, my, my experience is at least the way I play the game. Give me young hitters to build my core, and then I'll take the pitching and some young players when it comes. And then I try to like really go rapid fire through prospects and trade prospects for pitching when I'm in the cycle to win. So if I'm in a cycle where I'm contending for my dynasty. I might like, okay, I might take a couple of those prospects and try to try to get like a, a you know, like try to get a Verlander or a Scherzer, someone that's got one or two years left in their career. That's it. And I'm willing to cash in at that point. But that's kind of the way that I play the game. So through 10 rounds, I mean, I think you got to look down at your roster and feel like you've definitely got a shot in year one. And then you go uh, Ryan Presley and Araldis Chapman in back-to-back rounds in the 11th and 12th. Uh, what was the sort of thought process there like in terms of, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take a closer and then I'm going to follow it up with another closer. Cause that's always, you know, something people challenge or, or, you know, struggle with in, in dynasty leagues, because we all know, like as soon as a closer, you know, blows out his arm, then they're, they basically are worthless uh, for the most part at that point. So you're kind of holding a, a ticking time bomb, but you need um, at least one, really good closer and, and ideally two to win a 20 team league like this. Yeah. That's a 20 team league. That's exactly right. It's kind of what you want in retrospect. I should have taken Iglesias, you know, and to be honest, if he was had signed at that point, I would have, you know, I probably should have done it anyway and taken him over Chapman, but I took Presley and Chapman, you know, there was, I think there were four closers off the board by then. So there was like the fifth and sixth closers. I wasn't really planning on it, but I just looked at where the value was. And there were a lot of, I was looking at um, like the prospects that were left and I felt like there's there's kind of like um, there there are a couple like a, you know in retrospect man maybe I should have taken a shot on Khalil Watson there but there's a big clump here in the middle of prospects that I feel like are similar and it kind of starts in this area um, like Marcelo Mayer Ryan Brian Rocchio are probably like the the last of that tier for me and then there's almost like another tier and it it's similar and it's like 30 or 40 players. And so I just figured I can wait and get the back end of that clump of prospects. That's just the way I think about it in my brain and continue to build the win now and not really give up too much in terms of prospect, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
you know, caliber players, like high, high caliber players. And, you know, I got Pedro Leon and, and Austin Wells and Helio Ramos and Garrett Mitchell with like four of my next five picks. And those guys are all in that like grouping for me of like so, uh, uh, good prospects that aren't like the super elite guys that were going super early. But um, some of those guys, I think, have the potential to be top five, top 10 prospects in a couple of years, depending on, you know, how things pan out. I but the two closers I was just like I'm gonna pretend like this is a real draft that I'm really gonna try to win this year and with Presley and Chapman I pretty much just you know if I didn't win saves I'm certainly contending there uh, and uh, didn't didn't feel like I was giving up too much on the board it was kind of what was there for me in terms of the best players yeah I think especially with Presley um, you know if we get we got to like June or something and Presley's healthy. Uh, he might end up having the most trade value of anyone that got taken in that 11th round. Right. Because, yeah. um, yeah. you know, that's kind of how it always goes. Like the teams, you know, when we get to June, July, uh, the teams that have a chance to win are going to look at their roster and say like, all right, what do I need to do to, to push myself over the top? And inevitably one of those teams is going to really be able to use a high end closer. So um, it is a bit of a ticking time bomb, but if you, if you you know get the breaks and the guy stays healthy, there's there's still a, a ton of value if you do want to cash those guys out at some point. Um, so did you did you have a favorite pick? Um, like maybe a, a pick where when you finished your your big dynasty ranking update, this pick looked like the the biggest value for you um, relative to your rankings. Uh, no. i wish i could say oh yeah this i totally i think this is like a super competitive draft it was like i don't think there were any like oh my god i can't believe that person's still there um you know um i would say the uh i mean i like i love austin wells i just i like i feel like he's a hitter who's gonna hit and he's gonna hit in the lineup and it's just a matter of time and i just i think he's a little um uh, I like I like the the blend of some of the prospects I got. Um, that's the other thing I should say. Like I try to get a blend of uh, prospects that are have different arrival times, different skill sets. I don't really focus on position that much, but definitely on like uh, just you know, Bruhan. I wanted to have someone with you know, like I said, I think he'll play maybe not at the beginning of this year, but eventually force his way into the lineup. But like you know, Garrett Mitchell, you know, he's got a lot to work on before uh, he becomes anything. But if he does figure that out, I think he's you know elite. Wells, I just love the hit tool. So these are kind of like my guys. And Helio Ramos, and that this I mean, this may sound uh, like silly, uh, but I just feel like he, and this is totally me. Um, you know, doing what you shouldn't do, which is like taking the way I've interpreted yeah. the Giants have treated him and applying it. But I, I feel like he's bored. Like I feel like Helio's bored. Like he came up and I think in, the, in spring training of like twenty was it was it twenty twenty I guess I'm trying to get my year straight. And he was like he looked good. Like he looked like he fit. He was swinging the bat. He was in games, making good contact, hit a couple line drives, laughing with everybody. And then you know COVID hits, and then he's like in the minors. I just feel like I don't know. I feel like my theory on his underperformance last year is he he he's bored. Uh, but that's also because I love he like you know he's built like a I don't know, like a the closest thing to Kirby Puckett I think I've seen in a while. And so I just love that, like his, his, the way he plays the game. And so I'm definitely a little bit of a fanboy there. So that may have been a reach, but, uh, cause I've got a soft spot for him, but that's my theory on him. He's bored. But the guy, I guess if you're to get back to the question of the guys where I felt like, okay, I think, I think Carson Kelly has the potential to make me really good, look good with the 19th pick. He had, I think, I don't think he's anything spectacular or special, but in a, in a, in, you know, in a, I know it's only a one catcher league, but, I I'm, I'm anticipating a bounce back from him in, uh, in th- this year. And I think he'll be a good solid catcher for the next two or three years. And 
um, given where I got him, I like him better than a lot of the catchers taken ahead of him. So that's one guy that I think is there. And then I, I'm, you know, I'm always, I love, uh, I love, you know, big, big guys and watching them swing, swing the ball, swing, swing the bat and hit the ball far. And that's Jesus Aguilar for me in a nutshell, like, He's gonna. Get, I think he should get a lot of at bats, and in the twentieth round, I think he'll outperform a lot of the people that were taken ahead of him as well. So I kind of like those uh, boring, past their prime guys that are in their late twenties. Uh, to there, I think just, there's just always a lot of value in those players. Well, I hope you're right about uh, Kelly and Aguilar because I just took both of them in a slow draft. I'm doing uh, a, a fifty round draft and hold on NFPC. So. Um... Hope that you're right about them. Uh, I'm not in your league, and I'm right about them. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you're not in my league. Um, but I actually am. I did join a, uh, a $400 NFPC draft champions that I think still has 10 open spots. Mm-hmm. If anyone wants to, to jump in there, I, it should be the the two-hour clock one. Um, That's not I know, bad. I know people always like uh hopping in with people they know and then you were also uh starting up or helping start up a, a dynasty league did that get filled yeah we got one spot left like we just it was kind of on a lark because one of the things i've been trying to do is like everyone's like oh i gotta cut down on my leagues and i'm like i'm not trying to cut down on my leagues but i'm trying to limit my formats a little bit and because i'm working with uh, partnering with drew morris who does common sense fantasy uh, baseball fantasy baseball podcast he's a great guy and we're doing some so we're doing some draft champions together because we're planning on entering our first main together as partners. So we're using the DCs as kind of like practice. And um, uh, so what I did this year is pretty much got rid of all my daily leagues. It's just, I don't have the time. Like that's the thing that kills me. So like I'm sticking with dread and I'm also sticking with like 15 team leagues, except for like some of my home leagues, but like we'll be in 15 team leagues. So it's I'm going to like get to know that player pool really well and try to sharpen it a little bit more and really just do some best balls, some draft champions, and then uh, some mains. Or at least a main or two. So that's the idea, and so that's why uh, we we I started. But I was like, I had to cut a couple of my um, uh, daily dynasty leagues, and I was really bummed because I had a couple good builds there, but I just couldn't keep up with it. So uh, I put on Twitter, and this is why you love fantasy baseball Twitter. I was like, hey, weekly weekly dynasty fantasy league, who wants to do it? And we have like fourteen out of fifteen spots filled. So go look up at Baseball Pods on Twitter, and you'll see me not only. Um, railing against the hall of fame baseball writers that are continue to try to exclude Barry Bonds, but also, uh, um, and my top 500 dynasty list, but also an invitation. So I think there's, there's one ticket left to the ball for anyone that wants to join. And it's a dynasty league. We're looking for, I think just a hundred dollars a year, but a couple of years buy-in up front to make sure we have a good foundation for the league. So it sticks around for a while. Yeah. If you're, if you're listening to this and it just got released, you should probably rush and see if that spot's still open if you're interested, because I'm sure it'll fill this afternoon. Um, I did just want to quickly circle back. Um, I mean, you also took, you took Kyle Harrison in the 21st round. Uh, you're, you're a Giants fan. Um, but I did want to circle back on Ramos cause you have, you have mentioned that theory to me before and, uh, I wouldn't, I'm not dismissing it. Uh, it certainly could be the case, but you know, kind of in my, in my experience, like, you know, being bored, uh, if you're talented enough to be, you know, a big league regular and your guy, you know, like Ramos, who's very gifted physically, you're still going to produce a little bit better, I think, than than yeah. he did last year. Um, it's like I said, it's definitely my fan. I'm I'm <laughs> Yankees fan first, Giants fan second. Um, my wife's a huge Giants fan, so okay. 
Um, I definitely, it's a hundred percent. You also see my Wilmer Flores pick, which uh, <laughs> that's, that's a position X eligibility pick, but I do love sure. Wilmer. But no, I'm with you, man. I, I definitely, uh, I, it's more of a rooting for Helio than, uh, um, than thinking it's going to happen. I had one question for you though, about my team, because I know there's a player that I took late that, as I think just among about the month's immense upside, but I know he's a far way away from it given some of the stuff that he's going through. And like, what are your thoughts right now? on one of the guys I had the toughest time ranking was Christian Robinson. And when, in looking at like my dynasty prospects, when I look at his talent, I know he's a top 10 talent. I also know he's got, he's like, you know, miles away from realizing that. So how are you thinking about him? I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, he's extremely tough to value uh, for, for everything you just said. Um, you know, I think one thing to keep in mind is this isn't like it was his org mate, Corbin Carroll, who like we feel really good about the hit tool um, and just kind of the, the floor with him. And so like that missed developmental time from his injury, um, you know, I, I have more faith in a guy like Carroll sort of you know, getting back to the player he was quickly. Whereas with Robinson, even when he last was playing in games, there were some concerns about the swing and miss yep. and just kind of what the the batting average was going to be in, in a few years. And so now you, you couple that with all the missed developmental time. Um, you know, he's gone through more before his 21st birthday than, you know, probably most of these guys uh, have. So, I mean, it's uh it's certainly a, an interesting story i'm rooting for him you know i think he kind of got a bit of a raw deal um yep. but you know he's also on the 40 man roster now i believe um and that's so why that's why i grabbed him there i figured i know he's got your like the concern is they may because he's there he's going to get rushed probably and he, maybe he's there he's not ready to play when he gets there is that the biggest concern yeah i mean i guess with with him, he's such a unique case that maybe they wouldn't rush him because it, it would, I think even they would kind of recognize that if we push this guy too fast and he fails, like it's going to do much more harm than good. Um, but you do kind of, I, I keep that in the back of my mind when a guy is, is added to the 40 man and they're like two years away, realistically from being big league ready, you know, it is a bit of a time crunch there. Another, yeah, I, I agree. The one other player I just wanted to highlight that I took very late in the 29th is Luis Angel Acuna. And I've been higher on him than most people if you look at my rankings, I think. But um, part of that, just to be honest, is just, I just want to call him out, not because I love him or think he's going to be great, but because he represents one of my strategies in Dynasty, which is his last name is Acuna. And when he flashes anything, he's going to have value. And I only play pretty much in, Dy- in, in Dynasty leagues where you can trade. So I just. I think if, if he, if he, he has some speed and some skills, like he's a legitimate dude, right? He's not like nothing but a name, but that's what the main reason I've had Acuna higher than others isn't necessarily because I think he's going to be better, but because in my experience, I've been able to trade him for more value just based on the name alone. And I just encourage people to not just draft players. Think about that, especially with some of your lottery picks towards the end of a draft is grab a couple guys that, you might not even necessarily believe him, but you know that the field is high on them and you'll be able to flip them if they, if they shine a little bit. Yeah. I've, I never got too low on Acuna. Um, you know, I think, I think he's gotten a bit of a bad rap at times because people just assume that he was getting ranked high because of his last name. But yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a good player in his own right. And, and, uh, I think he was, he had a pretty successful full season debut last year. Um, 
We are going to head to a quick break, uh, but when we come back, uh, Chris is going to grill me about my team uh, in the Road of Our Dynasty mock. Uh, but first, a message from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions, and even more so, making the right decision. Listen up, folks. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcasts. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six states, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RoadWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. Download WinBet now. That's W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for RoadWire's fantasy podcast. All right, we are back, and as promised, uh, Chris will have about 20 minutes here to grill me about my team. I thought this would be uh, better podcasting than me just talking about my team into the abyss, and Chris was kind enough to to agree to take part in this, so I turn it over to you. You're muted. Thanks, James. Uh, <laughs> and I'm an idiot. Um, never going to get invited back to Rotowire again. I, uh, I've done that on the podcast with Clay. I know, and I, so. I, know I know. You guys are great at it, <laughs> making it funny. Um, I was just saying, like, the thing that um, I thought you got a great deal on, not to spend too much time near the top because we spend way too much time near the top of most drafts, but I thought Trey Turner at nine was ridiculous. 
um, personally. Like is, I, I think he's at least uh, at worst. I think he's like the the fifth best. Uh, like he'd be my fifth pick. Were you surprised to see him there, or are you finding him going there in some of the other dynasty um, drafts that you do? Or um, I was a little surprised. Uh, he wasn't someone I was expecting to end up with necessarily. Um, you know, I think again this being this being a mock draft. I wonder if he doesn't go higher if there's cash on the line because he would be my first pick in a redraft league right now. Yep. It, I, I I never get to pick first in NFBC leagues, but if for some reason I do this year, uh, Trey Turner will be the pick. And so you factor that in, uh, you're getting the person that you think is the number one player in the game for fantasy. Uh, it's a nice place to start. And, um, you know, you get that stolen base uh, kind of building block there and it kind of gives you the freedom to, to go wherever you want um, in, with your future pick. So, yeah, I, I was happy with it. I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about that one. Yeah. And then you got Olsen in the second round. So now you've got like, if you had any concerns about Turner's power, they're more than made up with Olsen. And, and as you mentioned before, like Wheeler in the third, so it's a super like competitive, immediate base. And then the fourth round, I was really interested because you grabbed, I think, one of the most difficult guys to rank as well, just for this year and moving forward. And also, who I realized today is a dead ringer for uh, Ted Williams, uh, is Cody Bellinger. Um, so, like, he's probably one of the most divisive players right now in fantasy. How did you uh, – what, what were you thinking when you took him there in four? Yeah, you know, uh, two years ago, I think I had Cody Bellinger ranked as high as – he might have even been in like my top five for dynasty uh coming off that mvp year in 2019 and especially for obp leagues and so it's a it's a borderline unprecedented fall from grace for him uh especially when you factor in his age like he's entering his age 27 season um you know i think there's certainly by the time we get to memorial day he'll either be a guy who is thought of as a top 30 guy for dynasty, or he'll be a guy who is not a top 100 guy pretty clearly for dynasty. I I think it's going to kind of figure itself out pretty early on next season. Uh, I'm mostly betting. It's kind of a a blind um, bet on him to just put in the work necessary to get in the shape that he was in, in 2019, because I think he obviously, uh, was not in the best shape last year. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, obviously the injuries played a huge role. I, I wrote up his uh, outlook for the site the other day. And I mean, it's just a, a long list of injuries. He was coming back from the shoulder in spring training. And then I think he uh, dealt with a couple more injuries in season. So I, I'm willing to kind of throw last year out um, to some degree. Uh and it is, it is kind of just a, look, this guy has more pedigree than anyone going in this round as a dynasty asset. And I just couldn't really pass it up at that point, but it's not like I'm 100% sold that he's going to bounce back. I just think this was, this was worth the risk there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, uh, I def- I looked at him as well, but I was just like, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. But uh, I think he's one of the more interesting players and one of the, you know, like that's how you win leagues. You know, you take a, a couple of, once again, not a guy I would want everywhere, but also a guy you don't want, you know, to have FOMO of um, in all your leagues. 
And then we talked earlier about Springer in the fifth and the sixth. I like so you I think are like officially driving the Jesus Sanchez um, bandwagon. I uh, like this is it's I thought I felt like this was a statement pick. I don't know if you <laughs> felt that. Um, not that he, not that you know at least bad, but it, like look, there are some like really other guys going in this round like. Um, you know, Corbin Carroll, we talked about earlier, uh, you know, for me, he's a top 10 prospect, you know, some, some of the, you know, Anthony Volpe, one of the biggest, probably the biggest come up for a prospect within a year. I've ever, I remember anyway, I mean, his jump was massive. You got guys like Giancarlo Stanton, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, my, you know, Michael Conforto, Mondesi, just a lot of interesting six, the round six is actually a really interesting round when I'm looking at it, but Sanchez is just like, he was a good prospect. He came up and he performed well. And you're just like, it feels like you're like, he is going to continue to become, be a great prospect. That seems, feels like that's what you're stating with this. Pick yeah. I mean, it, it was not meant to be a statement pick, but what it was, was me recognizing uh, just how quickly all the young kind of pre-prime big league hitters were going off the board and I basically realized, like, I w- I hadn't been able to get any of those guys, right? Because every single yep. guy I'd taken to that point, um, we've seen them at the, the peak of their powers so far. Um, and I felt like I, you know, that was kind of my shot to grab a guy because by the time we get to the seventh round, I didn't view any of those pre-prime big leaguers as guys that I wanted to roll the dice on that early. Um, so it was kind of like Sanchez, um was the last of those and so i bumped him you know I, I reached for him relative to my rankings um you know i had some some veterans uh who have who've established how good they are ranked ahead of him but i just i had a feeling that the veterans were going to keep falling as the draft went on and so this was kind of my last chance to grab a young hitter who was already, you know, lost his, his prospect eligibility. Um, and I, I really believe in the, the power and a, a decent batting average. Um, you know, the strikeouts are, are obviously a concern. Uh, you know, he doesn't have the greatest plate discipline, but his power is just mammoth uh, to all fields. And he's really kind of grown into that over the past uh, year or two. Cause that, that wasn't really always the case. You could maybe see it in his, in his frame when he was younger, but mm-hmm. Um, you know, the stat cast data really, really backs that up, um, from last year. So, uh, I think he's going to hit like cleanup for them, um, pretty much all season play every day. So that's nice. Um, and I, I do have him and I'm in my second, uh, draft and hold league right now. And I am, I am two for two on, on Jesus Sanchez so far in draft and hold. Like I said, you're, I've, you're driving <laughs> that way and it costs you, it costs you hard because right after that pick, you, Aaron Ashby, the other, <laughs> the other bandwagon that you drive in your, on weekends and, and evenings, uh, got picked right after that. Did you, when, you, when that happened, were you like, did you, did, was there a sting of regret or were you just like, no man, Sanchez is the guy, this is dynasty. We gotta, we gotta stick with it, but with the bats. No, no, I mean, I wouldn't have considered Ashby there. Like, so I think Ashby, when my prospect rankings get updated, will be in the 10 to 20 range. If Jesus Sanchez was still prospect eligible, I think I'd probably have him like fourth behind Riley Green. So, um, and I I actually have Ashby and Tanner Houck um, valued very similarly for Dynasty. And so like I got Houck in the ninth. So to me, like Ashby wasn't really on my radar there. That is that's that's amazing. Uh, I did not realize that you would have put Sanchez that high. Like I said, I, I, that's good to know. And I think it's a. I mean, you know this stuff as well as anyone, so that that's definitely going to influence my drafting moving forward this season. Um, 
several. So you, some interesting. You took two out of your next three picks were kind of interesting pitchers in the sense that I think that they're at very different points of their career, obviously, and they're both. But they're both like high risk, high reward. And when you start off with Zach Wheeler, you can do that. Um, right. Like that's one of the benefits of Wheeler. So talk to me about like Luis Severino and what you're expecting from him in 2022 20, uh, specifically and then moving forward. And then let's get into Tanner Hawk because or as we say in New England, you know, it's Tanner Hawk. It's like one of the best, <laughs> the best Boston. You know, you get we got to get uh, Jeff Ponce to do the proper like uh, Tanner Hawk. You, yeah. know, you know, he's the, the one of the best New England names around. Um, to pronounce with that Boston accent. But Severino and Hawk, I feel like two very different pitchers at different points in their careers, but represent similar risk and reward for at least the the, the short term. Yeah, what I was trying to do there um, with my second pitcher, third pitcher, was just find aces without paying ace prices. And uh, Severino obviously has been an ace before, mm-hmm. and it's just a question of, can he get back there? Um, I feel much better about him from a health and a risk standpoint based on how he looked when he did return last season. Uh, like compare that to like a guy like Noah Syndergaard. Like I'm basically not touching Syndergaard in, in any format uh, right now because I'm just so worried about the medicals with him. Uh, but the, angel, the angels are so good at developing. <laughs> The Angels do have an eye for pitching talent, and they, they know how to get the most out of it. That's that's true. Um, <laughs> Luis Severino, though, like you know, he the velocity was not all the way back, and who's to say if it ever comes all the way back? Mm-hmm. But he was, you know, ninety six miles an hour basically with the fastball, uh, ninety five, ninety six, and he looked like himself. Like even though there was a couple ticks missing. Uh, on the fastball and the slider like he didn't look like a pitcher who was pitching who was throwing like hurt um mm-hmm. and and i think if you look at the yankees rotation he's their second best starter when he's healthy so i'm not worried about the role i am not banking on more than you know like 125 innings or so uh, in 2022 uh but I think they can be really strong innings. Um, and then I think by 2023, uh, if all goes according to plan, then he's looking like, you know, a top 15 pitcher for dynasty. And then with Hauk, uh, you know, I think he's got as much strikeout upside as, as really any starter in baseball on a per inning basis. Mm. Uh, the fastball slider combo is, is really, really, really ridiculous. Uh, you know, we've seen guys that rely heavily on two pitches like a Tyler Glass now or Denilson Lamette, like have a lot of success in recent years that that used to be kind of a one way ticket to the bullpen as if he didn't have that third pitch. But, um, you know, it's not like his his third pitch is, is terrible or unusable, but I think his his top two pitches are good enough that he can lean on them very heavily and, and still have a ton of success. So, uh you know, if I went one for two on those two picks, like if I get an ace out of one of those two and the other one just completely busts, I still think it's kind of worth it there. Um, but obviously hoping that they both pan out. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. You kind of anticipated my question and getting a couple of them there, both with the high risk, but with the high reward, it's like you're hoping that one of the, in, in a dynasty league, because pitching just changes so much every year, getting guys going, sometimes I think like shooting for that upside with a couple of guys and hoping that what works out with one of them, you're going to be able to churn the bottom of your rotation 
uh, it's just going to change. So I, I love that. And people, Severino, I mean, like, I think there was a couple of years ago where Severino would probably have been my number one dynasty pitcher. Like he would, when he, he would, when he came off that, that he was definitely in the conversation. I mean, he, he's still young and he's, he was so elite. Um, you know, it was tra tragic that he went down uh, the way he did, but I, I love, and I love the the faith in, in Hawk. Um, that's a, uh, and he's on a, on a winning team too. So I think, uh, I think there's a lot, of, lot to love there. You, between the two of those in round eight, you picked Luis Urias. I loved what he did last year. And you're, you're a Milwaukee guy. So, you know, more than, you know, more than anyone. Is there any concern you have that he gets like squeezed into like a super utility kind of role? Or, or do you think he like put his name down and he owns that, like that role now in Milwaukee? Um you know, barring them doing something unexpected in free agency, I think he he has everyday playing time pretty much locked up. Um, I you know, I mentioned this uh, with Phil earlier in the show. You know, he he wasn't my best player available there in the eighth, but the position eligibility uh, was what kind of did it for me with him because all the big league third baseman that I had any interest in really uh, in the first 10 rounds were, were basically gone at that point. Uh, I did end up with Donaldson later, um, but that was just a value pick where I just didn't think he should have still been left. But Urias's mm -hmm. uh, eligibility of, of third base uh, and second base was, was part of the reason why I popped in there. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, then you got a couple prospects with, you know, pretty, uh, uh, elite upside um, in both both middle infielders named Nick, but very different profiles. And Nick Gonzalez and Nick York. I heard you talk. I mean, Nick Gonzalez. I think most of us know, like really strong hit tool. Pittsburgh probably. I don't know. If, I don't know. If 20, late 2023, probably on the come. Um, Going to have a lot of opportunity to play. And then Nick York. I heard you talking. Um, I think it was with Chris Welsh earlier this off season on a podcast about him and like he has really elevated his profile um to you know what is he a, i don't know where he, where where is he going to rank i mean gonzalez has kind of been steady steadily climbing the ranks but you're kind of made a jump like what do you where do you rank him or where do you think you're going to rank him and what kind of skills and what's his eta for you in boston yeah you know those two um like york was the last guy who's going to be in my top 20 uh who was on the board there in the 11th round Yep. And so what I was sort of doing in the the draft was I, I didn't want to jump in on prospects until I saw a tier really drying up and like uh, could be opportunistic about it. And so um, you basically had like Brian Rocio, Nick Gonzalez, Luis Matos and Nick York all go in the span of about 20 picks here. Yep. And those, those were the four guys um, that I basically had pinpointed here as like if they're still there I'll, I'll grab them um yeah i mean i think gonzalez is is probably up early 2023 uh and uh yeah love love what he brings to the table uh all five categories you know not a ton of speed but but a little bit and then uh york you know if i've i've compared york to um uh, marco luciano uh, because they are the exact same age and they both they both played low A and high A last year. And if you compare what they did at low A and high A, like to me it's just York over Luciano, hands down. Uh like just way better hit tool. 
Luciano has more power. Uh, that's a, that's a given. But I yeah. think if you have as good a hit tool as it look like looks like York's going to have, and then you kind of look at his frame, um, you look at the power he's already getting to. I think he is going to surprise people with how many home runs he hits in the majors. Mm. And I'm not necessarily factoring in the speed that he showed this past year as something that I'm banking on in the majors, but you, you never know with a guy like that. Like maybe he can steal eight or 10 bases to go with a, a really high average and, you know, 25, 30 homers. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a sucker for hit tool myself, especially when it's not just totally empty. I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm like a, I'm speaking of other Knicks. I'm not really a Nick Madrigal or Nico Horner guy. Like no, I think, but, but York, York, I mean, I didn't realize what that Luciano comp's interesting because I, I just I assumed he wasn't even close in terms of power, but I knew he had some pop and that bat speed. You, lo- I mean, I, with any kind of a hit tool is just uh, you can see why he climbed in the rankings. Um, and what you were talking about earlier, just going back to like strategies and a draft, that tier that dried up. That's why this is the, the these are the rounds where I pivoted and went with closers because. That that exact tier that you're talking about, I have a similar tier, and it was dried up. So I was like, I'm not going to reach at the beginning of a first tier. I'd rather get something else right. in terms of value. Thanks, thanks to you for picking two of my guys. <laughs> uh, I, I and kind of a um, maybe a little bit more of a, a boring um, uh, question, but something more for redraft and dynasty. But you took Josh Donaldson over Justin Turner, I believe, if I'm reading the board right, in the 14th. Um, Talk a little bit about talk a little bit about that decision because Turner went directly afterwards. Yeah, you know, I think the the OBP factor uh, was it was a big thing there. Uh, Donaldson much more valuable in OBP than in in batting average leagues. Uh, I believe Donaldson's like two years younger too. Um, now you know he's he's hurt all the time. Uh, who knows? But. Uh, you know, if you just if I, if you do like a steamer um, auction calculator based on the settings for this league, Josh Donaldson's like a top forty hitter um, in the format. So, getting him in the fourteenth round, like I I did not build like I, I usually tell people to to play for year two, but just the way that the draft was unfolding, it seemed like half the league was playing for at least year two, if not year three. And mm-hmm. so when everyone's doing that strategy, it's much less effective. And so, uh, you know, at a certain point, um, like when I took George Springer, basically in the fifth round, I was open to trying to win in year one. Um, and so I think, you know, CJ Crone, Mark Canha, Josh Donaldson, those are guys that I would expect to probably not even be on my roster in three years, but they're guys that could, could help me win in the, in the first couple of years of the league. And then, then you went with, uh, there's, I don't know, you know, Saris recently published a list of a few guys that I think he was looking at WRC plus versus projected um, WRC plus. Um, there were a number of players who just underperformed based on that metric in 2021. And I think on a, on the short list is Rowdy Telez. Um, how do you feel? What, like, what are you thinking about him in, in terms of, I mean, playing time and then also performance uh, short-term and long-term because he's one of those, he's kind of the type of profile that the fantasy community disrespects. No steal. I mean, you know, no steals kind of a little, maybe a little on the chunky side, uh, you know, probably won't age well, but um, you know, it seems like uh, it hit tool and power there and uh, opportunity should be there as well. 
Yeah, uh, you know, and I have Rowdy on our uh, Devils Rejects roster, which is a league that you're joining this offseason. Um, so welcome. I, I'm looking forward to a world of pain. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to DR. Uh, can't wait till you're you're officially in so we can talk trade. But um, yeah, I mean, Rowdy, I've been really high on him for a couple of years. Uh, obviously, did, things did not go well in Toronto last year. Uh, but I mean, I think... You know, he was he was getting jerked around pretty early on in terms of playing time. Uh, he does not really have um, severe lefty-righty splits. I know that, like, if you look on roster resource, it, it has him as a guy that's going to get platooned. I actually don't think that will be the case. Like, sure, he'll sit against some lefties, but I, I don't view him as a guy who's going to be a hard platoon guy. And to find a guy with his raw power and his strikeout uh rate or just you know ability to make contact like that's a pretty rare combination from a a guy who is you know mid-20s seems to have an everyday job uh so i you know he's part of the reason why i'm waiting on first base in redraft leagues this year uh you know I, i think you can get him outside the top 300 and as long as that stays the case, I'm going to end up with a lot of Rowdy Telez. And I could just tell you that he is a absolute cult hero here in Milwaukee. Um, the people in Milwaukee seem to uh, kind of see a bit of themselves in him, I think, uh, from a physique standpoint. So whenever he does like anything at, at uh, Miller Park, uh, people just go crazy and start chanting Rowdy. So I think it's a really, I think it's a really good fit for the, the player and the franchise. Yeah, he has an affinity for beer and cheese and sausage, <laughs> I would say. It's probably a safe assumption. Um, I I know we have, only have a couple more minutes. I just wanted to, um, first of all, curse you for round 22 and round 23. Kyle Hendricks, I think, just a great anchor that late. And then Corey Knabel, who I have since moved significantly up in my – at least 2022 rankings. I think he's like looking like a very good closer. So awesome. Um, you know, late picks. I did have one question. So one person I have only the, the, per- the person who was drafted probably who I have only vaguely vague familiarity with, cause I do not have your level of prospect expertise is Jorby or Horbeat probably Vivas. Um, you know, I know his general profile, um, but I had not, he was not on my radar and then I was looking at him and some people have a 2022 ETA on him. Can you, I don't think he's a, he's someone that's talked very much frequently about in the prospect community, but because he's, he's buried in the Dodgers, you know, ridiculous, um, you know, treasure trove of prospects, but could you talk a little about, about Vivas? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he is a guy that I just in any kind of a prospect mock or in this dynasty mock, I have been ending up with, cause I think I'm, I, I must be the only person who thinks he's even close to like a top 100 prospect. Uh, but I mean, when you look at his bat to ball ability and the power he was able to get to at, at his age uh, last year, uh, that, that really jumps out to me. Um, you know, those are usually with a guy like this, we're having the will he ever hit for power discussion at this mm-hmm. age, uh, yep. but he already is hitting for a little bit of power. And I think his body's going to age very well. Uh, I think, like to me, it's kind of a toss-up between him and Adise Leonard, who is much yep. more popular in that yep. system. Um, the biggest concern is that log jam. Like they always just seem to have an endless amount of second baseman and third baseman and shortstop. So um, you never know if he's going to get the the opportunity. 
uh, to play every day early on uh, when he is big league ready, but he could always get traded. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to bet on the the hit tool and that well-rounded skill set, uh, especially that late. Yeah, I mean, a 20-year-old who's at high A with a one-to-one strikeout to walk ratio um, and shows some anything else, that's enough. Uh, anything else beyond that is pretty amazing. Um, so I, 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 that was in, I appreciate this is one of the that was probably one of the, the big guy coming out of he was the biggest takeaway for me in terms of wow I really got to dig deep and one of the great things about doing mocks and participating in these types of things is you learn more um, uh, about the the player pool and that's that's uh, something that you certainly helped me uh, elevate my knowledge so I appreciate that. Well, I really appreciate this, Chris. Uh, really, I mean it it went great. Uh, couldn't have had a better person uh, ask me questions here. So I hope um, you feel adequately grilled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Keyword, uh, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thanks for taking so much time. Um, where can people find your dynasty rankings and just let people know uh, where they can find you on Twitter. Sure. I'm at baseball pods. That's pretty straightforward. And then I have a website that I started. It's really a spite website against Justin Mason, but it actually ends up having good content. It's kind of like if you watch um, Curb Your Enthusiasm, you know, Latte Larry's, he opened up the coffee shop to fight. Oh. That's what I, that's why I started baseball-pods.com. So go to baseball-pods.com if you hate Justin Mason or enjoy uh, Dynasty content. And um, uh, it's, it's a, we, we try to put some, uh, probably an article, I'll probably put up a couple articles every month in the off season, but uh, you can interact with me regularly on Twitter, probably uh, to an unhealthy extent. Thanks again, Chris. I uh, really appreciate it. And yeah, definitely go check out his dynasty rankings, uh, top 500. Um, really impressive stuff. And uh, keep up the good work, man. Thanks, man. Really appreciate the opportunity. And you have a good holiday break, bro. You too. Okay. Uh, we have our final guest of the show. Uh, you might know him from Twitter at Gator Sosa. Uh, but Jake Weiner, is it Weiner or Weiner? It's Weiner. Wiener, Jake Wiener, really appreciate you taking the time uh, to Thank join you for me. Thank inviting me. Yeah, I mean, you've invited me to uh, multiple Dynasty mock drafts in the past, and those have always been a lot of fun, and so I wanted to return the favor. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, I mean, so you're no stranger to this activity. Uh, you were picking fourth. What was your sort of plan um, before you made your first pick in terms of how you are going to try to build your team? Definitely. So I would say I approach most dynasty drafts the same way. Uh, I think that a lot of people tend to look towards younger uh, elite potential hitters. So I thought for the top four, there'd be some pretty good options for me, whether it was Soto, uh, Fernando, Vlad. I think there's a lot of options. Acuna, of course, in a dynasty holds more value in a redraft because we're not entirely sure how he's going to progress next season. But I thought Vlad was a slam dunk at four. I mean, OPS over 1,000 last year, led the league with 48 homers, 311 average. I mean, even sprinkled in a bit of speed. It's not something you'd expect, but he was a bit trimmer last season. So I think that he provides value across the board, and he's really young. So he's going to do it for the next decade plus and a great foundation for any dynasty team, especially at that corner and field position. Yeah, and I... I kind of approach dynasty a little different than redraft, especially if there's any kind of like an overall competition, because in dynasty, I think you really want to get that OBP or batting average. And then the home runs, runs and RBIs um, anchored as best you can with, with right. your nucleus of hitters. And I mean, nobody does that better than Vlad. Yeah. I mean, I was a staunch believer in him, even when 
Some people may have touted some launch angle struggles. Uh, <laughs> just, just a big fan of the pedigree and, uh, you know, glad to see it come to fruition. I so, think this is the norm for him going forward. So in the second round, uh, you were picking basically towards the end of the second round. Uh, you took Jared Kelnick. Uh, what, how much did you have to think on that one? Was it a tough call? Who were you deciding between there? Sure. So uh, being that this was a 20-team draft, uh, kind of having you know a bit of a plan. After I picked Vlad with the first pick, uh, there is five starting outfielders in this. So I was thinking that maybe I could go with an outfielder or sometimes in dynasty drafts, pitchers tend to fall. So I definitely wanted to prioritize getting an ace or two in this draft. So that was an option. But uh, I, I did think that Kalnick was the most enticing outfield option to me. I love his upside. He's a five-tool prospect. And, you know, it could almost be the same ilk as Vlad, where he was really highly sought after. There was a bit of struggle where people were down on him just a bit. And I believe that I got him 37th overall in a 20-team league with five starting outfielders. I think that's tremendous if he pans out the way I think he can. Yeah, I mean, he was a guy that would have gone top 20 in almost any uh, dynasty startup if we were doing this exercise a year ago. Yes, I would say so as well. I picked him uh, maybe a little after 20, but I definitely picked him last year higher than 37. So I'll gladly take him when he falls at the 37th here. And you got your ace in Lucas Giolito in the third round. Uh, How did you sort of view that? like sort of tier of aces at that point? Was he one of the last guys left for you? Was he the one you were hoping would make it back? Sure. So in terms of, I guess, kind of circling back to the second round, like you never really know in a dynasty if some pitchers are going to fall. I think in a 20 team with some sharks like we had in this draft, I kind of knew that wasn't going to happen. So yeah, Lucas Giolito is definitely still an SB1 that I think can be targeted. You know, in 15 drafts, you're probably not going to get him in the second round. Last year, he was getting picked, plugged at the tail end of the first. I think he still has that amazing stuff. He flashed throughout the year. I think the pitching coaching is definitely a plus for him because it was his high school coach. He's got nasty stuff. And I think at his age and his pedigree, definitely a good spot to pick a pitcher there, especially going first base and outfield with the first two slots. So from there, you went CJ Abrams in the fourth, Luis Castillo in the fifth, Gavin Lux in the sixth, Joe Adele in the seventh, Dalton Varsho, Lance McCullers, Luis Matos. So you know, I'm looking at this core and I don't think you realistically are going to try to compete in year one. Is that correct? Right. So I know that a lot of drafts and people are drafting, uh, there's a fork in the road where it's, you're kind of determining how your draft's going to go. Uh, I would say that it does give me an opportunity to compete uh, in early in the second year. I think yeah. that Joe Adele yeah. and Gavin Lux are very good by lows. I got Gavin, I think I got Joe Adele 124 and, you know, Lux just before that. I, I think that coming into this year, they're going to get taken a lot higher. Uh, these are people with really good five-tool pedigree, especially Adele. I mean, what he did in AAA last year was 23 homers and a 592 slugging across 73 games. So everything's there. And even Gavin Lux, he was playing some outfield. So I think potentially, even with Chris Taylor coming back, I, I would assume that they're probably not going to give Corey Seager that big deal. He's going to get increase in playing time. He just turned 24 and he'll be 24 at the start of the season. So I think those are both particularly good by lows. And just to touch on one more player that you mentioned at the top of that, CJ Abrams, I think is particularly an ideal compliment to somebody like Vlad because he's going to give you a really hot bat. Uh, he's blazing on the base paths. And I think he has some blossoming power too. So I think that he could gain some outfield eligibility due to Tati's currently there. 
and he even played some second base for the first time in his professional career in 21. So he's a fantasy monster in the making with an ETA that could potentially be pushed due to his pure talent. Was Abrams the fork in the road that you were kind of referencing? So it's funny. I don't think Abrams is the fork in the road per se, because at that point, I think it was where, where I take him 77th overall. I'm just a huge fan of the talent. And then again, I think pairing him with somebody like Vlad is like for the deck for a decade plus, you know, if you put those two players together categories, uh, you're just going to get elite production through and through. And I really do think that CJ Abrams is a safe bet, you know, really highly touted coming into the draft. But I think the fork in the road was maybe after uh, I picked Adele and Gavin Lux, because those are kind of two players of the same ilk, just bounce back candidates. So whereas I think that personally, I think that Abrams is close to a sure thing. Uh, I think that I'm more so buying in low on Adele and Lux and hoping to see production that we've seen in the past from them. So that might be the fork, kind of just hoping on their talent. Yeah, like you're you're kind of taking those two guys and I mean realistically I I agree with you in terms of like I mean you're buying these guys like four rounds later than they would have gone at kind of the, their peak value. Yeah. Um but yeah, once you take those two at in round 6 and 7, you are going to probably need that that full season of runway to kind of let those guys really kind of figure things out um before you can really bank on them to to help you win. Uh, uh, yeah, I would say it's the same thing with Kelnick, honestly. Like, I'm not going to yeah. get what I think his perceived upside is really until later next year or the following year. So kind of following that trend, like I'm expecting Vlad to produce. I'm expecting Lucas Giolito as well as Luis Castillo, who really performed better after the first couple months. Like, I think they can both be productive pitchers into the next couple of years, and that could supplement bets that will also probably take a bit to heat up. But year two and on, I don't think you're getting these players close to where I drafted them. Yeah, I also think with Luis Castillo, uh, he's a guy that I would recommend people maybe try to acquire this offseason in Dynasty because if they trade him, like if all of a sudden Luis Castillo's on a team with like a neutral park or, or even a pitcher's park and yeah, a good, not in great American <laughs> and a and a good defense. Like every time I right. watch a Luis Castillo start, his defense is just letting him down left and right. He's got Eugenio um, Suarez at shortstop. I mean, it's not the ideal yeah, situation for a pitcher the, down there. There was the Josh Van Meter in left field experiment. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, Jesse Winkers obviously played outfield this whole time. So, like, if you get Luis Castillo traded to, like, the Giants or something like that, all of a sudden, I mean, this is a guy who I would move up my rankings 20, yeah. 30 spots. And I, I do think that there is some persisting negative sentiment on him based on how he started last year. People were even saying, should I drop Luis Castillo? So, I mean, I was not one of those people. I am still not one of those people. I mean, I just think that brutal April and May, but solid four-pitch mix, and his changeup is crazy. So this is somebody who's young enough to be productive over the next couple of seasons. So you took uh, Dalton Varsho in the eighth, uh, Lance McCullers in the ninth. Um What's your take on on Varsho? Like, what what does a fully finished Varsho stat line look like when you're say trying to compete in 2023? That is a great question because I think a lot depends on he does have this catcher eligibility now as well as outfield. So I think that coming into this year as well as the next year, I think it provides some ample opportunity to put up counting stats for a catcher. I mean, I think he do does have you know uh, really good speed that he's going to give you. And then if he's playing in the outfield, he'll probably get more plate appearances than a usual catcher. 
2015 maybe, right? You could, you could do something like that. And who's giving you that from the catcher's position, especially at that point in the draft and that age? Yeah. I mean, if he's, if he's doing that and he's catcher eligible, then yeah, I mean, he's going to go extremely high, uh, especially in redraft right. leagues. Um, McCullers, uh, obviously an injury risk just given the way his season ended uh, right. was, but was that maybe part of your build just knowing that you didn't need a full season from him this year? So that definitely played into it. I think getting him at 164 or I got him is a really good bargain considering he'd be my third pitcher with Castillo and Giolito. He had the lowest ERA and the most innings pitched of his career last year. Control is always a concern for him, but really filthy stuff. And I think that when the health does come back, he's young enough to continue producing. And I guess Luis Matos, uh, you know, you already had CJ Abrams. So Matos was your second true prospect. Uh, I've been a huge fan of his for, for a while. Um, What do you, what do you like so much about Matos? I mean, He's a special five tool prospect. 2019, he batted 367, 2021, 313 with 15 homers, 21 steals, and just over 100 games. Uh, I think me picking him here was perhaps the fact that I don't have any shares of him and just wanting to be able to pick him in a draft. But again, pairing him with CJ Abrams is my second prospect. I think those are two very high upside. You have the middle infielder and you have the outfielder. And again, I think that's another player that perhaps his pure talent could just push his ET up a bit. Now, you know, another sort of post-hype guy, Casey Mize. Uh, actually, you went three post-hype guys in a row in Casey Mize, Jaron Duran, Alec Bone. We have a trend here, yep. Yeah. Uh, how much of that is you believing in all three of those guys and how much of that is just kind of like value and just, you know, maybe you go two for three and, and you'll take that? Sure. So to start, Casey Mize was my favorite pitching prospect in baseball uh, for a while especially when he came into the league, I saw some things that I really liked. So picking Casey Mize there, he might even be the pitcher that I would say I have the most dynasty exposure to just on previous drafts, just betting on his talent. I still think he gets there Uh, towards the end of last season. I know that they were limiting his innings, but I think again, it was just because it was towards the end of the season and with a fresh season and a young rotation, I think that they're really going to want to, you know, see what he's got. Jaron Duran, definitely a bit of post type there. I think that he's got blossoming power and he's got some really incredible speed. He also has a really strong bet. So while he didn't show it at the major league level, he was really consistent at the minors and showing that. Then I think there, even if Jaron Duran doesn't pan out completely, he could provide him with some speed, which at that point could be valuable for a younger player. And Alec Bohm is also somebody that I've had a couple of dynasty shares of. I thought I, I happened to think he was a very safe bet when he was in the minors. Uh, he did have that minor stint the year before, which seemed to confirm that last year was not the case. I think that we get more good than bad from him. I think that the Phillies want him out there. He's been working on his fielding, so that will definitely help, uh, as well as the DH coming. But I think at that point in the draft, given a corner infielder with that much upside, it was 244 that I got him. And I think that he exceeds that, or hopefully. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... Uh... I, maybe I should take another look at Mize because I, I had, uh, you know, I wasn't so sure on the upside still being there after his first couple seasons, but um, he's going late enough in, in drafts right now where, you know, even if he's just kind of giving you 
like a low fours ERA yeah. and 150 innings, it might might be worth the price. Um, I think he might be getting picked by his floor right now. So if you can sweep the floor, it might be a good opportunity <laughs> to do so this offseason. Yeah. And then uh I mean Duran and Bohm, like, you know, this is this is a big year for both those guys, uh just kind of given their age um and just kind of where their teams are. Um yeah. and I think if you if you go one for two on those two, and then Mize stays healthy. I think that that works out. Uh, I want to ask Jake about your just general strategy with closers when you're doing a dynasty startup, because as we've said, you're you're kind of playing for year two, but you did take Jordan Romano in the 14th and Giovanni Gallegos in the 19th. So it's not like you just ignored closer, which I think is sort of a you know common strategy for for builds like this so what what was the thinking there sure so i definitely especially in a 20 team i don't want to ignore closers completely especially when they tend to go on runs like i don't think i was putting myself in in a position to pick like a josh Hader or a liam Hendricks, but i didn't want to completely punt the position especially because it all also offers me good uh ratio relief so innings and whip i could get that so jordan romano was dominant last year i i think after he got healthy May have not wrapped up the save opportunities, but if he is the closer in that bullpen, again, I do have Vlad. I think that the Blue Jays are a very talented young team that could provide a lot of save opportunities. And Gallegos, I actually happen to think that he could be a little underdrafted at times because there's a lot of fluidity in that Cardinals bullpen, but he's been pretty lights out for the last three years. I mean, since 2019, he's got a 2.76 ERA, K per nine over 11, and a 0.85 whip. So he's expected to be the closer on fan graphs. And if that holds, I think he can return immense value as a closer. And just locking those two up, uh, being that it is a 20-team league, could even give me an advantage in those categories, not only this year, but hopefully the next couple as well. And if we were playing this out, what would be your um, sort of strategy in terms of trading? Like, Because obviously, you know, if, if we get to july and and romano's healthy and gallegos are healthy and they're both looking like top 10 closers which i think is a a realistic scenario yeah me too are you holding them um or are you possibly considering cashing them out at, at peak value so i guess it would depend on the specific offers as well as a lot of the players that i did pick are bounce backs so even though you know i i did pick abrams i picked matos there's certain guys that could really exceed the projections like what if Kelnick gets off to a really hot start? What, what if Mize is cruising as the Detroit ace? What if Joe Adele gets an opportunity earlier than expected and produces? He's got massive power as long as he cuts the strikeouts down. I think they want to see what they have in him. So there's players that could realistically, I, I think that will uh, outproduce what people are expecting next year, which does give my team some sneaky viability heading in towards mid-late next year. So uh, I, I don't think I would be dangling the closers if they're performing well, but definitely wouldn't be opposed to fielding offers to potentially supplant or support my team with more talented young players. If that seems to be the direction at that time. Jake, did you have a a favorite pick uh, in the draft um, for, for your specific roster? So for my specific roster, I would say I had a couple of favorite picks. Uh, One of them was Bryson Stott. He tore up the AFL and I think that he'll get an opportunity sooner than expected. I mean, he's demonstrated his talent since being picked 14th overall. And I, I just think that he's somebody that's going to produce in Philly in short order. And he's shown, you know, ability for contact, hitting around 300 in his minor league career and some power as well. So 
I like that pick, even though it's kind of redundant to picking somebody like CJ Abrams. And I that was that, that was in the fifteenth round, just so everyone knows. Yes. Yeah. Fifteen pick two eighty four, I believe, with Bryson. So it was redundant to some of my prospect talent, but oftentimes I feel like prospects at shortstop and outfield tend to return that value. I feel like a lot of times when you're building out a league, like we only did 30 rounds, but in 60 rounds, a lot of my prospects would likely be shortstops outfielders with that high upside. Uh, so I definitely like that, especially because I do think he's not far away from contributing. Also in the 17th round, I picked Daniel Espino, who is arguably my favorite pitching prospect. I happen to think he has the highest upside based on his stuff. He's been mowing down hitters since high school, making children look like children, I guess, and kind of doing the same to professionals here. And I think with that pitching system and the type of stuff that he's got, he's going to be a weapon. And I know tends that, you know, a lot of people don't like to focus on pitching prospects. I think Espino is somebody that's going to make it and probably not at a buy low based on how he performed last year, but even any way you can acquire him in the off season, as long as it's not an arm and a leg, I consider it. Yeah. I mean, if, if you want to trade for Daniel Espino, you can do it right now. Uh, it's going to, it's going to cost you, but it's that's not, gonna, it's not going to cost you. An exorbitant amount. Um, it will cost you more next year. I'll tell you that. What What do you think his uh, timetable is? Because I mean that that team is loaded with arms, kind right. of at the AAA level right now. Right. So they're loaded with arms at the AAA level, and it seems like they'll pump out these guys that will tend to overproduce based on the coaching, or you know, I don't want to say the overproducing. They're very talented young arms that they have in the system, a plethora of them. So I think Espino realistically factors in in the next couple of years probably two years because he was younger to begin with. But I think that they are afforded the opportunity to really season him, given, as you had mentioned, the depth of arms they already have at the top. But I think when he's ready and he's pumping his heat, they're not going to hold him back because of their depth. I think that, you know, it will take a year or two, but I think that when he's ready, he'll be knocking on the door, nose steaming, ready to go. And I think that will be pretty evident at that point. All right, Jake, uh, last question um, for anyone who is about to do a dynasty startup. I know uh, Chris, who was just on, is uh, helping commission a dynasty startup that's going to be taking place here over the next uh, few weeks. I'm sure a lot of people are going to do something like that th this holiday season. Do you have any general advice for people uh, who have a dynasty startup on the table? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I have fun with it. Uh, you know, what Mike Tyson said, he said everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. So know what you're going in with. You have a pick, you, you have a direction, uh, generally follow that, but you know, don't be afraid to go with the flow a little bit as well as in deeper leagues. I picked, uh, 20 teams. I, I would say 15 plus might be considered deeper for dynasty perspective. Again, in 60 rounds, uh, don't let pitching get lost in the fold, especially when you consider that a lot of times you can get that offensive talent for prospects. Uh, but there's less viability often with pitching prospects. So don't don't lose sight of getting somebody like a Giolito or a Castillo that you think has that higher potential SB1 upside uh, you, just because you're picking offensive talent. And I don't mean to cut myself off. I did have a quick question that I wanted to ask you oh, about sure. a player that I picked. Uh, I know it's somebody that we're both pretty high on. I kind of just wanted to get a report, see where you currently are. Uh, for, pick 444, 444, excuse me. I picked uh, Yusei Kikuchi. <laughs> so i know that he had that velocity bump in the offseason hot start really cooled off like ice cold uh where are we at on kikuchi yeah um he's someone that i am still willing to draft for 2022 uh kind of in the mid 300s um 
Yeah, he was very frustrating last year because, as you said, he gave you all that value early and then he took most of it away if you were still starting him late. Uh, I know Rob Silver did some some good research on him that basically over the past two years, uh, when his fastball is where his fastball should be, he is a very, very good pitcher. Um, 95 to 97, right? So we like to see from him. Right. Uh, and so as long as the fastball velocity is there, I think you can count on the production. It's just a problem of, you don't know if you're getting that fastball velocity and when it's not there, he's quite bad. So, uh, I'm very interested to see where he signs. Um, I'm viewing him right now as kind of like a guy that you're in like a 15 team or even like a league that deep, you're picking your spots with him early in the season. And hopefully the radar gun is, is telling us good things, but um, you know, if, if he lands in a good spot, uh, I'll be, I'll be fine loading up on him again this year. Just give him the price. I'll, I'll give him another shot based on, I, I believe his potential, especially where his landing spot could be. It's yeah. a big pitcher's park. Then we'll like that. I mean, if, if like the angels sign him or just like a, a team, like, like yeah, obviously if the Rockies sign him, like we're out, but I mean, there, there's some teams where I would just be like, eh, like, I, I don't know. Yeah. That'll make um, you reconsider if he signs in Colorado, but somebody to watch out for sure all right jake uh where can people find your work uh do you got anything to plug before i let you go yeah absolutely you can find me on twitter gator gator sosa always talking baseball as well as writing for prospects 1500 i cover the rays organization and in january we are doing our annual top 50s one each day per each organization so keep a lookout for that and uh we'll be posting an article shortly on Rays offseason acquisitions awesome man really appreciate you taking the time uh, this has been the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast brought to you by WinBet, and I'll be back next week to wrap up the Rotowire Dynasty mock.